0: Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. I'm going to start with a quote. I I have a mentor and a friend who who says this quite a bit, pastor, and I like it. You know my personality. You know why I like this. But here's what he says. He says, people will make exceptions for exceptional people. You are not one of them. So get busy being faithful, being trustworthy, and working hard. I think that's very good advice for all of us. So by way of review, as we've been in this series on work, um, last week we talked about our God works. Like work was his idea. In the meta-narrative, of all of scripture starts with our God working. And he creates us actually to work. When we are most human... Most perfectly human, we were working. We were created in God's image. Work gives us dignity. Why? Because it was God's idea. And last week, if you remember, I talked about work being under attack. Uh, for sure, in our region, but as i uh, last week, as I started talking to people and doing more, more reading, really in our culture, work is under attack. Why is that? Because the enemy always attacks God's ways, and us working is God's way. And it was quite interesting that this morning I saw a headline of our local newspaper. And I talked to you last week how the current climate of the 417, it saddens me. It is very sad what's going on in our culture. And just people aren't working and it's hurting us. It's hurting our businesses. It's hurting our restaurants. It's hurting the things that make this place an awesome place to live. And make no mistake about it, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemy attacks God's design, always has. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, pre-Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 1 and 2, pre-sin, our work was to serve and to steward. That was our main point of last week, to serve and to steward as God's representatives. We are here to care for what God created. We are here to bring order to what God created. We are actually here to, actually, to create because God created and we are created in his image. We are here to bring out hidden potential and helpful potential in our work. And God is gracious to allow us to do this. He does not need us to do any of this. But he's gracious to us to allow us to do this. Then Genesis three happened, right? And there they entered another reason of, of why we had to work. And we had to now we have to work to provide. And this is where we saw toil and futility enter the scene of the meta narrative. In other words, this is where we saw the ground beginning to fight back, where it didn't fight back in Genesis 1 and 2. Now it's poetry, so did the ground literally fight back, and was it only the ground? No, just creation kind of fought back, and you guys feel this. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to feel creation fighting back. That's what sin does, and it's what it did to our work. So it brings us to this week, and what I want us to look at this week is our work and God's work. Our work and God's work. Now here's what I know about most of you. Most of you are not in what they would call vocational ministry. You do not work for a church. You do not get your paycheck from a church. Most of you are not going to go be missionaries and raise your support to be missionaries. Most of you are not going to start a Christian based nonprofit. Most of you are not going to do vocational ministry. Most of you are not going to do what a lot of people would deem as God's work. And make sure you see me say God's work. I want you to be encouraged this morning, because I don't want you to make a mistake. Most of you, while you won't be in vocational ministry, you are doing God's work, and you need to understand that uh, this morning and and, and moving forward. See, there's kind of like a myth out there. There's a belief out there of a job that that may or may not have gospel impact, right? Am I doing a job that has gospel impact? And then it, you, you might even have people say to you like man well you know you're not you're, is your job really having gospel impact and then you start questioning you're like man it does it and then and then maybe you're like start feeling ashamed or guilty because man all my work my work doesn't have does my work have gospel impact and I want you to be encouraged this morning because jobs don't have gospel impact people have gospel impact and and listen y- you can have gospel impact and here let me tell you a real scenario right there are a lot of people who get in and do the work that I'm doing meaning a pastor or they go to work for a church and they believe this myth that a job has gospel impact and there are a lot of people even who have pastored churches who have worked in a church and they've had no gospel impact they just had a job in a church they've they've not made a disciple ever but they work in a church and they believe oh well I'm I'm I have gospel impact. It's like, no, because a job doesn't cause you to have gospel impact. And I want you to be encouraged by that this morning. Teachers, carpenters, electricians, bankers, doctors, are you in in retail? Are you an architect? Listen, you are doing God's work. You are doing God's work. Are you serving? Are you stewarding? Are you you caring for wherever it is that God has you? Are you bringing order to the arena in which God has placed you in? Are you creating? You are being like your master. It is God's work to serve and to steward. Now here's the reality. In society, I feel that we have lost sight of this in our work we have lost the real uh, reason that we should work or the primary reason now how did this happen how in society have we lost our way when it comes to work so I've done a lot of reading as I prepped for this and I kind of brought this up and I thought you know what I might as well just tell you guys what I'm reading okay so here's a book every good endeavor by Tim Keller Right? I, I highly recommend it. You guys know I love this guy. This is a great book. I've done a lot of reading. Uh, I read this book for this sermon series. Then I read another one. Um, this is a secular book. This does not have one Bible verse in it. Okay? It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion, and the Quest for Work. Cal, uh, Cal Newport wrote this book. Okay? And then I've actually just started Garden City. That's, that's legit. I I'm, I'm barely got going in it, but it's good. Okay? So if you're wanting to know these three books and then the Bible, that's how we got to where we are today. Okay? Now, why do I bring that up? Because when we talk about work, it's like, how did we get to this place where we are, where we're not viewing work really properly? And so, in the book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, he talks about two different mindsets. And one is the passion mindset, and then the other one is the craftsman mindset. And here, here's what happens, like this passion mindset. This is, this is what's going on in our world, and we're giving all this advice, and here's the advice. Do what you're passionate about, or follow your passion. And what's crazy about this is, like, we're telling 18-year-olds to do this. Now, we're still, 41-year-olds are still doing this too, okay? But listen, we're telling 18-year-olds to do this, and then they go to college, and they change their major four times. Because it's like, how do you... Your brain doesn't even fully develop until you're like 26, and we're telling 18-year-olds, hey, go follow your passion. Um, it's not working. The secular book says this, the passion hypothesis is not just wrong, it is also dangerous. The foundation for a career riddled with confusion and angst. That's that's what happens most of the time when you follow your passion. You pick your work based on your passion. Now listen, has following your passions, has this worked out for some people? Yes. Does that make it universally, effect, or universally effective? And should we follow it? No. I'm going to get to why, okay? And here's the thing about the passion mindset and the craftsman mindset. Both of them are focused on value. See, the craftsman mindset, which we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to it, see, it is a focus on value, but, it, but it's more about the value that you can produce for other people in your work. It's more about what you can do for other people. So I thought about this, this whole passion mindset thing, right? And it, it brought to my mind two institutions, right, that are in this city, in this very city, uh, near and dear to my heart and Changed the life of the Loats family, all right? Andy's frozen custard and St. George's donuts. Okay, listen. I don't even know where we'd be without them. But let me ask you this. This, this is me. Maybe, maybe this isn't you. I'm just telling you this to me. Never once have I taken a bite of that St. George's donut and thought, I really hope George is passionate about donuts. Like, listen to me, I don't care how Andy feels about ice cream. He makes really good stuff. I've never asked how passionate they were. I just know this. They're really good at what they do. Amen? Huh? Huh? You see, let me talk to you about the passion mindset and why it presents a problem because it also focuses on value, but, it, but its primary focus is not on the value on what you can do for other people and what you can produce for other people. When we follow our passion, when we have the passion mindset, the focus is on yourself. It's rooted in selfishness. What can I get out of this job? What can this job do for me? How can I enjoy my life better? The secular book, the secular study done by Cal Newport and his people, they concluded this. When you focus on what your work offers you, it makes you hyper-aware of what you don't like about it, leading to chronic unhappiness. And I don't know about you, I'm always so entertained. And I I always try to find a secular book and try to kind of see where where the world is on some things, right? And I'm always entertained when when the world is like, we have found something, we have figured something out. And the Lord is like, dude, I wrote about this thousands of years ago. Because I believe he did. So let's get God's opinion about this approach to our work. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Can I reword that? And I don't think I'm making a stretch here to, to take scripture out of context. Your passion is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing except pick your work from selfish amb- no no no. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Quite simply, as, as Jesus said and was quoted in Acts 20: it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, listen, we could, I could, that's just three. Like, that's just three verses. And we could do this all day. There's another, there's another issue that I want to bring up when it comes to this passion hypothesis. Here's another pitfall. When, when this is your approach, you're going to have an identity crisis eventually. Because the, the passion mindset, it's kind of rooted in some questions. And some of you guys have been there, and I'm not, I don't want to guilt you or shame you if you've been on this journey. But, like, a lot of times people get in their work and they're unhappy, and then they start asking questions like, man, who am I? Like, like why am I here? Like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Do I love what I do? Like, what am I missing out on because I'm doing this and I'm not doing this? And this takes us down this journey where it's like, man, I should... I should go do something that I'm passionate about. And then what we do, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is we place our identity in our work. We make this change because, man, we got to do something different. And now this becomes our identity. God never designed us. Go back to Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. He never designed us to get our identity from our work. You can get dignity, God-given dignity, but never our identity. Our identity is in him. So you guys may not know this about me, because I I don't know why you wouldn't know this about me. I'm just thinking a lot of you may not. So I'm into some good rom-coms, okay? Uh, Yes. So Ryan Reynolds, I'm in. Okay, Matthew McConaughey, I'm in on all of them. So there's a movie, The Proposal. Anybody? Okay, listen, Woo! it's good. So, you, so so Sandra Bullock's character, right? She's she's this driven woman, right? Her work and everything about her identity is her work, and it is actually pretty sad because it's it's so much for identity that she never learned how to love. You know what happens when you follow your passion, you just do what you're passionate about, then you put your identity in your work, you will always struggle with love. She did not how to love. She didn't know how to love. She didn't know how to care for others. Listen, just go get some Andes and go watch for the proposal tonight. All right, guys? You can't go wrong. Tonight, Sunday night movie night, okay? Nothing. could be more disastrous for the world than for God's image bearers finding identity and belonging and even satisfaction apart from him this is garden city quoting from the book garden city so what if what if we had a different mindset and i'm not even going to say like a craftsman mindset right but what if we just had a different mindset i would say what if we had a more biblical mindset Matthew chapter 6 verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'll I'll just kind of do this little thing again. Where your treasure is, there your passion will be. Meaning, your treasure, what, what, what if it's like where your meaningful investment is, then you will be passionate about that. Mark chapter 10 verse 43, but it shall not be So among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you, you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, that's our king. we followed his example? What if our passion was actually our king's passion? It's like, man, I I need to serve people. I need a steward. Or what if, okay, what if we just developed a skill that would better enable us to serve and to steward? Like what if I would just quit worrying about what I was passionate about or if the work that I'm doing is like just right for me and I just put my head down, right, just started getting after it. And then I ended up being really really good at something. And then I'm take that thing that I'm really really good at and I make sure that I serve others and I steward that skill. What if I did that? Here's the answer. You know what that is? Ministry. The word ministry means service, to serve. So what if I did that? What if that was my mind? So I'm going to get really really good at something. And I'm going to use that thing that I'm really really good at. I'm going to serve people. That's God's work. And you may never draw your paycheck from a church. But it's God's work. The Bible taught this. Do you see a man skillful in his work, Proverbs 22 says? Oh, he will stand before kings. Let's get really, really good at something. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. How about Matthew 5, chapter 16, right? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't think this verse is talking about taking a mission trip to Haiti. I love mission trips to Haiti. You should go. I just don't think this verse is talking about it. It's in the context of salt and light. And salt has this specific job, right? And light had this specific job. Go read it. Meaningful work. Listen, you're doing it. If you're serving, if you're stewarding, if you're working hard, you are doing it. And listen, it's going to be hard. And there are going to be seasons, probably of some great boredom. It's going to take faithfulness. It's going to take patience. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take integrity. It's going to take love. So so just really quick I just want to touch on the hard work. I want to talk, just touch on work ethic very quickly. Listen, I know I know most of you and you work hard at your jobs, your inspirations. Proverbs 18:9 Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Are you working hard? Do you have a good work ethic? Are you faithful? Are you okay with being a little bit bored? I I don't know. One one athlete out there made a quote one time. Basically, if you're ever going to be great, you have to overcome the boredom of repetition. That's true of our work. That's true of our work. You got to overcome the boredom of repetition. If you ever want to develop a skill and become really, really good at something, that's just the way it's going to have to be. You can't just change jobs when you get bored. Now you're gonna do this. Oh, this is awesome. And I'm on a high. It's like, okay, now I'm bored. Now I'm gonna change a job again. You're gonna to struggle to be effective. Your work, your occupation. The thing that occupies you. See, because a lot of you right now, you're thinking about your job, where I draw my paycheck. We're not going to stop there. Yes, we're talking about that. But that is not only what we are talking about. I'm talking about what occupies you. Is the thing that occupies you more about what you can get, or is it about what you can give? Now, I've talked a lot about job, and we have a lot of students in here. Maybe school is your job. So we've talked about all that, but there are other things that occupy us, that take work. Oh, I don't know, marriage. Genesis chapter 3, 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That sounds like hard work. And all the married people said, listen, listen. Marriage takes hard work, takes faithfulness, takes patience. Oh, I don't know. How about parenting, moms and dads? The Bible says in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go. That sounds like work. Training, train up, that's work. Proverbs 22 also says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline Drives it far from, wait a minute, train up and discipline, that's work. Yes, parenting occupies us. It's God's work. Marriage is God's work. Where you're going tomorrow to get a paycheck is God's work. Let's keep going. How about community? Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That sounds like work. Community takes work. One pastor said community is not found. Community is forged. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens. That sounds like work. It is, and it's God's work. Listen, so let me talk to a few of you, right? We have city groups in our church. Some of you haven't even haven't gotten into one yet and, and you want to get in one. Some of you have been in like five. And maybe if that's you, you ought to, you ought to just stay in one and work at it. Let's keep going. The local church. Let us not, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That sounds like work. So I want to challenge some of you who maybe have the mindset of coming to church to get. What if we shifted that thinking and said, you know what, I'm going to come to church to get give I could do this all day I'm just going to go one more What about sanctification So I know we have our 3rd through 5th graders in here that's a big word sanctification that that is quite simply how we become more like Jesus Sanctification becoming more like Jesus Do you know that takes work? Like, like we don't just sit back and get gains. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Listen. Your sanctification, your growth, your becoming more like Jesus takes work. And I don't want you to be, listen, this isn't something to bring shame or make you feel bad. Listen, hear me out. Some of you are like, man, I just don't know. I I can't read the Bible. I don't read the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. And I know. I get it. It's, It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. It takes work. You won't understand it in a week. You won't understand it in a month. You won't understand it in a year. Listen, it's just faithfulness, just like your work, year after year after year. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I've been reading this book for 25 years. I I have never opened it yet and not learned something. But it's work. Your sanctification is work, and it's God's work. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I don't know what you guys all of you do, to draw your paycheck. Some of you picked your jobs. Some of your families picked your jobs. But I know this. If you are stewarding and you are serving, you are doing God's work. And there's a way he would have you do it. Now listen, I'm going to end the sermon today. If you were here last week, this is the exact same way that I ended last week. When I started this series, I said I'm going to end these sermons the same way every week, on purpose. So if you hear this, you're like, oh, what? I heard this. But then some of you weren't even here last week, so here we go. (laughs) We can do this. All of it. The the work of marriage, the work of parenting, the work you're going to do tomorrow morning, the work of sanctification. We can do this, Hill City. Be encouraged. We can do this. How do I know we can do this? Because our king is our model. And he did the hardest work that will ever be done. Now I told you, work of sanctification, there is work in sanctification, but praise Jesus, the work of salvation is not your work, it's Jesus's work. And you don't have to work for that, but that's what's gonna enable you to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. Because Jesus did the work, his life, he worked in his life, he told God as much, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Then he goes to the cross, we know the work of the cross. He bore our shame. He bore our sorrow and our suffering. That's work. And he did it. And he took a beating. He, he, he was mangled. And then he was buried. And he was in the ground for three days. And he rose again from the dead. Nobody can do that. Only he can do that. And it's work. And he did it. And then he ascended into heaven. That's work. Anybody try to ascend into heaven lately? We can't do that. He can do it. It's work. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is still working right now, this second. Listen, I don't know what you did last night. Maybe you did something really dumb this morning, but Jesus is working right now. The Bible says he's making intercession on your behalf. When? Right now. and every minute and always. He's still working. That's how I know we can go to work tomorrow morning. That's how I know you can go home and forgive your husband today. That's how I know you can go love your child and teach them and point them to Jesus today. That's how I know you can serve your church today. That's how I know that you can get in the word of God and ask him to teach something, and he will. Because Jesus paved the way. Our king did this. Work was God's design. And he didn't just give us a butt tap and say, go figure it out. He's like, I'm going to show you how to do it. Isn't that great news? It's the best news you're ever going to hear in your life. Let's pray.